Today we finish up our summer series on, I don't know what's going on, but maybe this is on now. There we go. And we're live. Welcome. How's it going? Okay. Okay. I'll stay very still. Uh, Today we finish up our summer series on the parables of Jesus. This week we are in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and we'll be looking at verse 44. Just the one verse. It's a short passage with massive implications. Let us get caught up in the scandal of grace together this morning as we work through this parable of Jesus. Matthew, chapter 13, verse 44. We read the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was serving as the youth and young adult director at Peace Lutheran in Calgary, Alberta, Karen and the kids and I took some vacation time and visited our family in Olympia, Washington. Now, unbeknownst to me, my dad and my brother had gotten really into the show on the Discovery Channel called Gold Rush. Anyone, anyone seen or heard of Gold Rush? No one wants to admit that. Like, that's, that's something no one wants to admit to. But it's, it's about these guys, and they're up in the wilds of Alaska, the Klondike, digging for gold. And they aren't doing it the way that they did in the Old West. They've got these huge pieces of equipment, these massive machines that they are using to rip up the earth to get to the gold. But even with all this modern equipment, they still need to use some of the older techniques to figure out where in the ground the gold might be. So while I may have given my dad and my brother a hard time about watching a silly show on the Discovery Channel about a bunch of cranky, greedy dudes trying to get ahead in life by playing around in the dirt, it wasn't too long before I was sucked right in with them, sitting on the couch, reaching for the popcorn, watching men search for gold. I mean, who isn't fascinated with treasure? Right? The idea that something incredibly valuable is hidden just below the surface, waiting for the right person, waiting for you to come and find it. Movies like National Treasure and The Goonies have captured the imaginations of young and old alike. I remember wanting to be an archaeologist when I was younger because I wanted to go on adventures, I wanted to go on treasure hunts like Indiana Jones. Searching for relics, for pieces of history, for treasure that had been lost to the sands of time. And as Gold Rush tells us, treasure hunting is still a thing. Whether you are looking for gold in the Amazon, searching tropical seas for ships laden with gold that supposedly sunk during a storm while under attack from pirates. Or or maybe you're taking a metal detector down a beach. The allure of treasure, of of finding treasure and how it could change your life. The fame of finding a treasure and the wealth it contains is just as powerful today as it was when Robert Louis Stevenson first penned Treasure Island. 
Our text this morning speaks of treasure. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a man, a treasure hunter, who found a treasure in a field. And after he found it, he he covers it back up again. And then, because of his excitement of finding this treasure, he sold all that he had and he bought the field. He was fully invested in this treasure. He gave all he had for it because of the joy that it brought him. At first blush, when we hear this parable, we make the connection that we, we are the treasure hunter. And the treasure is the kingdom of God. And so we must give all that we have. We must put all that we are towards purchasing that land that, that we might be part of the kingdom. That we might take ownership of God's mission. And I get it. I mean, that makes sense, right? We understand the concept of sacrifice, of putting in time, of paying the price. When I go shopping with my children, and particularly if we go to Target, we have to go through the toy area. And not just the toy area, but the Lego aisle like in particular. That's the aisle. It's like the black hole of Target for my family. We have to go there. We just get drawn there eventually. And so we enter, we enter the Lego aisle. And the eyes go wide as they take in all of these items that they want all of these things that they assume that they know, that they try to convince me anyway, will bring them joy. That they wish that they could have. And as we're walking through the aisle and they're seeing these new items that maybe they haven't seen before, wasn't there last time we were here, the list continues to grow and, and it gets bigger. And Dad, I want this. And I want that, and I want this. And it's like, no, like, we're going to go through the aisle, but that doesn't mean that you can, you can have what's, what's in the aisle. I'm, we're, just, we're just letting you see what's here. And as they, as they hear that as, that, as that settles in, the kids are asking what chores they can do to earn money so that they can afford the things that they want, the treasure that they see lining the shelves at Target. This idea of giving our all to be part of the kingdom of God is supported by many in our Christian culture. In his commentary on the book of Matthew, R.T. France says this about this parable. He writes, This parable is about enthusiastic and wholehearted commitment to the kingdom of heaven with the secondary theme of costly renunciation for the sake of the greater good. It is only those who make the kingdom of heaven their top priority who will enjoy its blessings. It is only those who go out and sell all that they have, do all that they can do, be all that they can be, in order to be part of the kingdom, to take ownership of the kingdom in their lives that will get to be part of it, who will get to go to heaven, is how France understands our parable this morning. Adding more fuel to this fire is a quote from famous missionary and martyr Jim Elliot. Jim was in Wheaton College when he felt God calling him to be a missionary. After some conversations with a former missionary to Ecuador, Elliot felt that God was calling him to the Alka Indians, a small and fierce unreached people in the jungle. And on January 8th, 1956, 28-year-old Jim Elliott, along with four others, was martyred, killed by this tribe they were trying to reach for Christ. 
If you were to go to the archives of Wheaton College's Billy Graham Center today, you can view Elliot's journals. And should you look at the entry on October 18, 1949, you will run across this sentence. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That sentence, that quote has become a rallying cry. It's become a rallying cry because we we get it. It resonates with us. Why not give up what I cannot keep? Someday I'm going to die and, and I won't have my money and my things, my house, my white picket fence, my nice computer, my car with that kick and sound system, my shoe collection. I won't have these things because I can't take them with me. So why not give all of that material stuff up to gain what I cannot lose? Once I'm in heaven, I, I can't get kicked out, right? When I'm part of the kingdom, that citizenship is eternal. So why shouldn't I give everything that isn't eternal so that I can be part of something that is? I'll give all that I have, we think. I'll be a missionary to unreached people groups. I'll I'll plant a church in a large city that is totally foreign to me on the other side of the country. I'll, I'll tithe 20%. I'll sleep less and and give my spare time to volunteer to be the secretary here at Calvary so that Pastor Dan doesn't have to fold bulletins or forget to put things on the calendar anymore. I'll sell my car because, you know, I I rarely drive it anyway. Or I'll downsize my house. We don't don't really need those extra bedrooms so that I can give above and beyond so that I can do above and beyond. And then I can feel secure in having bought the field with the treasure I can then feel secure in having done what I can do to be part of the kingdom. And man, I can't wait for the after party. If you are thinking these thoughts today or have ever had thoughts along this line, I have, I have a question for you. How are you doing with that? How's it going? Do you feel like you've done enough? Do you feel like you've done enough? As much respect as I have for men like R.T. France and how they have devoted so much time to writing commentaries that help me understand God and his word on a deeper level. And as thankful and appreciative as I am for missionaries and martyrs like Jim Elliot, I have to be true to scripture. And that means... I have to be very clear here. They got it wrong. They got it wrong. Our Christian society says that we have to do all these actions, follow all these laws, give up all these things. That we have to make the kingdom of heaven our top priority in order to gain that which we cannot lose, to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. And that's, that's all wrong. There is nothing that we can do to earn our way into heaven. We are sinful people. Romans chapter 3, 23 reads, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory 
of God. And because of our sin, we can never be good enough. No matter how much we give up, no matter how much we change, no matter how good our intentions are, we cannot be good enough. No, instead, we are the Stemberg children, sitting in the aisle of Target, looking at the things we can't afford, and having no way to go about buying them. As Daniel Emery Price puts it in his chapter on this parable, he writes, While the Bible and church history is full of examples of people giving up everything for the sake of Christ, any notion that that what they give up purchased or secured the kingdom of God, Christ, or salvation for them is antithetical, contrary to, flies in the face of the gospel itself. Listen, if you feel that God is calling you to be a missionary or a pastor or a church planter, please answer that call. We, we need you. We could really use you. And if you want to give up your time to be our secretary at Calvary, hey, you know, we can have a conversation about that. If you think God is putting it on your heart to downsize that you can give more, that's between you and him. But I'll tell you, the trustees, they're not going to complain. But understand that those are expressions of response to God and his love and his call on your life. They are not actions on your part that result in you obtaining, in you earning or purchasing an invitation to a heavenly eternity. But friends, church, we don't need to buy to purchase that invitation. For the invitation has already been purchased for us. The invitation has already been purchased for us. You see, we are not the treasure hunter in our parable this morning. Jesus is. Jesus is. He is the one who is pursuing. He is the one seeking the lost. He is the shepherd going out after the sheep that have gone astray. He is the good Samaritan caring for the needs of the broken along the side of the road. Jesus is the treasure hunter. So what are we? In Ephesians chapter 2, 1, as Max read this morning, God tells us that the Apostle Paul, through the Apostle Paul, that each of us, every one of us, was dead in our trespasses and sins. That because of the sin in our lives, we are dead. And where, where do we put the dead? We bury them in a field. The treasure in our parable this morning is not the kingdom of heaven. It is the corpse of a person who is dead in their sin. Who is dead in their trespasses. Who of their own accord, by their own will and their own actions, is unable to bring themselves to life. It's us. It's you. It's me. We are the ones lying buried in a field. And in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of the Father, we are a treasure. You are a treasure. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning, but man, 
I know I'm one of them. I don't know where life has taken you. I don't know how you feel about yourself. I don't know what lies the devil has been whispering into your ears. But friend, know this. Cling to this. In the eyes of God, you are a treasure. And this treasure hunter is so excited to find this particular treasure. This treasure that he has been searching for. He is so excited about it, in fact. He goes out and purchases the land. He buys the land so the treasure can become his. And though we in our sinfulness may at times chafe at the idea, the Bible is clear that the language of purchase is reserved for Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And Revelations chapter 5, 9 we, in, in Revelation 5.9, we read this passage referencing Jesus. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy, you, Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. And you, Jesus, were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every, and purchased for God, men. I can't say this line, apparently. You were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I'm still not sure I read that right, but I think it's up there. You can read it. Jesus purchased the field. And he did it with his blood. And he did it on the cross. You see, Jesus took all of the sin that left us buried in a field and dead, and he, and he took it upon himself, and he marched up the road to Golgotha, to Calvary, and there he died to pay the price for that sin. The price that we could not afford, and because of this sin, when we believe in him, when we believe in his life and his death and his resurrection, we are brought back from the dead. If we were to continue reading that passage in Ephesians 2, where earlier we read that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The story doesn't end there. Paul keeps writing in Ephesians 2, 4 to 10, we read, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Made us alive together with Christ. We were dead and now we are alive in Christ, spiritually dead to spiritually alive, brought back. In Christ, we are no longer buried in a field, but found and bought and brought to life by the treasure hunter. And saved by his grace, for it is, as we continue reading, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You aren't the treasure hunter buying the field. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
How insane is that? How scandalous is that? Who, who buys a field of corpses? Who falls in love with someone who is dead? That they, and then they give their own life to bring the dead back to life. This sounds like some crazy, super scandalous love story. Because that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know where your personal walk with God is, but I do know this. That God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he sought you out. And despite your sin, despite your rebellion, despite you thinking that you could be good enough, despite your recognition that you can't be, he sought you out and he found you dead in the field. He found you unable to save yourself. And because you are such a great treasure, In the eyes of the living God, Jesus willingly paid the price to bring you back to life in him. Not through what you do, but through what you believe, through faith. Let's read our parable one more time this morning. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. What a scandal. What a glorious scandal. How amazing and loving and powerful is the God that we serve. Amen.